Chapter 14 Animal Evolution The truth will set you free, but it will make you miserable first, said President James Garfield. In an earlier chapter, we looked at the Bible showing us that much of the angelic world is made up of creatures, i.e. animals. That said, there's a book which used to be a part of the Old Testament canon until it was removed in the 2nd century CE by the Universal, i.e. Catholic Church. Unfortunately, without that extremely valuable and informative book of ancient history, we've become clueless as to where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. In fact, a very oft-quoted piece of advice by people such as George Santayana is, if we forget history, we are doomed to repeat it. And as Mark Twain also said, the one thing we've learned most from history is that we never remember history. How very true. With that in mind, one very eye-opening scripture that's not given nearly enough credence is 2 Peter 3, 8. There we're told one day in the spiritual realm is about the same as a thousand years in this physical realm. What that means is the time continuum in the spirit realm is drastically different from this physical realm. It also means the Garden of Eden and the Great Flood were just earlier in the week in the spirit realm. What we consider myth and legend in ancient history was just a few days ago for them, but is just as important and relevant now. It's just in our evolved ignorance we have relegated ancient Bible history and other once biblical books such as Enoch to myth and legend. That's to our detriment, unfortunately. In the book of Enoch, we find an absolutely shocking rendering of ancient events which are still majorly influencing our behavior to this very day. There in Enoch 7, we find the relating of events which began, which again, in the spiritual realm was only a few days ago and that is of 200 angels called Watchers, I think we would call them Guardian Angels these days, making a pact together to leave their posts of watching, that is, and getting involved with man and womankind. We're told they took women and procreated with them and produced giants, as Nephilim. The Bible echoes Enoch in Genesis 6 and also in the book of Jude, but only giving us a snippet of what Enoch relates. Again, most refuse to accept Enoch due to the fact it's relegated to unauthorized status by the church to this day. But without the book of Enoch, we are literally lost in time. Combining Enoch with the Bible, a very grand picture of the past, present, and future emerges. After all, the wisest man to ever live tells us there's nothing new under the sun, and what was will be again. That's Ecclesiastes 1, 9-10. If what Solomon said is true, then we're going to see a repeat of Enoch 7 in some way, shape, or form. Some of what Enoch doesn't tell us, we can fill in from the Bible. For instance, Enoch tells us about the Nephilim giants that apparently reached hundreds of feet tall, although leaving out the many the fact that many or most of these angelic watchers were animals. Remember, this was brought out in an earlier chapter with a close reading of Genesis 1.26, where we're told the physical animals were made after their kind. That would be their angelic kind. One question quickly comes to mind. How did those animal angels coerce human women to have sex with them? Well, one of the Hebrew words describing these angels is shinon, which means changeable, or in modern vernacular, shapeshifter. They have the ability to take whatever form like human that they chose. For instance, if the natural form of an angel is a horse, he could make himself look like a handsome young man, easily seducing foolish young women. 
But when the babies were born, the truth was out of the bag with the emergence of a half-human, half-animal creature. They were called centaurs. Considering all legends and myths are rooted in some sort of fact, we can be sure the so-called legends and myths of half-animal, half-human creatures are quite real. Again, I'm sure most everyone has heard of the term, even if they don't understand it, about the white elephant in the room. Personally, I don't know how the saying got its start or from where, but most of us understand what it means. For those who may not, the white elephant in the room is a reference to a huge problem that's obvious to everyone, yet no one is willing to address. I'm sure everyone can cite at least one white elephant in their families or, and or associations over the years. With that in mind, there's a biblical white elephant, among many which I address, in the fact that virtually all the ancient cultures worshipped animals. That said, were our animals, which according to the Bible lived up to almost a thousand years, really so ignorant and foolish as to lift up the average cow or horse or dog as gods? Really? With the thought of worshipping animals in mind, just how many people do you know, including yourself, are willing to acknowledge the concept of angelic animals? After all, all we have ever heard about angels is that they are humanoid in appearance, uh, usually with wings. That, of course, should prompt the question, just where did that concept of angels originate in the first place? Well, <clears throat> we have many examples of angels appearing to people in ancient times, but always as humans dressed in white. But what of the wings? Where did they originate? Well, actually, it's somewhat obvious considering the Descriptions the seraphim in, e, in Ezekiel chapters 1 through 3 give. But before going there, let's consider the first and most familiar angel of all mentioned in Scripture, the so-called serpent in the garden, that is, the Garden of Eden. Why is it that virtually everyone ignores the obvious description given of this creature, that of a very intelligent and talking and reasoning creature, which is obviously not human and or humanoid? Again, the Bible plainly states this creature, or Nahash, was the most cunning of all the beasts. Beasts? Obviously, this beast was not alone. There were many like it. Again, and, and also obvious, this Nahash was not like the dumb animals we have all, have all around us today. So what exactly what was this Nahash? Well, to begin with, serpent or snake is not the correct translation, considering Nahash supposedly means whisper as in divine enchanter, but shining one and or burning one is more correct. In fact, the fiery serpent or the seraph Moses was instructed to erect in Numbers 21.9 was also a Nahash. After all, snakes are not exactly burning ones. But we do have further descriptions of this Nahash creature in Ezekiel 28. We read earlier of that perfectly created being clothed in jewels, also called the cherub that covers, that is Yahweh's throne. Obviously, it had wings and, and, according to the narrative, was also in the garden. According to the lament, this perfectly created creature defeated or rebelled, defected, I mean, from its created purpose and position as one of Yahweh's winged cherubim, covering his throne to become what we have come to know as the devil, or the chief adversary. Satan, by the way, is simply the Hebrew word for adversary and or adversity and is not a name at all. Strangely, we have no other descriptions of this beast other than the one in Revelation 12, which we'll look at shortly. But we do have many descriptions of the fir its first cousins, the seraphim, in chapters 1 through 3 of Ezekiel. A close look at the seraphim in Ezekiel shows they were much more animal or beast than human. In fact, one description shows them to have four faces, three animals, and 
one human, with many wings, eyes, and hooves for feet. One thing's for sure, there is almost nothing human or humanoid about them, except for the one human-looking face. Well, here's where it gets very interesting again. According to the Book of Enoch, 200 of these watchers vacated their realm and posts to establish themselves and their offspring as gods and kings. We see that referenced in Jude 6, by the way. In fact, the Hebrew word most often used for angel is malak, which, curiously, is also the primary word translated king. Again, what a coincidence, considering the Gentiles or pagans not only worshipped animals, but loved the concept of kings. It is, also is it also coincidental that Yahweh condemned the concept of a king to his people, also forbidding them to worship the demons or the angelic animals? Oh, and let's not forget, these half-animal, half-human creatures such as Anubis, which was a human with a jackal head, and Ra, or Ray, a human with a bird's head, were also worshipped by the Egyptians as gods. Understanding all this, can there be any doubt why we are acting more and more like animals after having been taught we evolved from them? Oh yeah, let, let's not forget where the big push for animal rights is coming. Evolution, or evolution as I think is the correct pronunciation, is a great example of blinding and manipulating a large segment of humanity using the simple tool of ego, or pride. As mentioned earlier, evolution is simply a hoax perpetrated by those errant transdimensional beings as a ruse to keep humanity from acknowledging our true origins, that is, created by Yahweh, and, of course, our ordained destiny. The adoption of the concept of evolution also quite effectively prevents humanity from acknowledging and accepting the errant transdimensional's existence and malevolent influence in our affairs. Unfortunately, that ridiculous ruse has met, met with shocking success in spite of its obvious absurdness. The word absurd is used here both with its general conversational designation as well as its scientific definition, which is be discussed shortly. The evolution hoax is part of the good and evil mix of knowledge being disseminated by a trans-dimensional source that was prophesied a couple thousand years ago to still be the reigning condition in our times. One of these prophets is found in 2 Thessalonians 2, where it says, The coming of the lawless one, uh, that would be anti-Torah, one is according to the workings of the adversary with all power, all power, signs, lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, that is, those who are dying, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved, that is. Of course, that is being saved from death. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they would believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth and had pleasure in unrighteousness. Wow, what a boatload of understanding there. We earlier read of the blocking of the tree of life after Adam and Eve chose the adversary's immortal lie. We see that choice further reinforced in this extremely intuitive passage, but yet that lie is only the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more. Again, it's obvious someone has coerced humanity to utilize our pride and ego to exercise unprecedented audacity in claiming the chair at the head of the table as the highest beings in the universe. What better way for higher unseen beings to maintain puppet control of a proud and ignorant humanity than to convince us of the ridiculous idea that we evolved from 
slime, or them, the animals, with no higher intelligence involved. In fact, scientific parlance dictates that if the odds of something happening or not is 1 to the 50th power, that is a 1 followed by 50 zeros, or greater, it's considered absurd or absolutely impossible. Much of the scientific community, through their own research, have wised up to the fact that evolution is indeed an absurd impossibility. Unfortunately, they are reticent to stand up for this truth for fear of being ostracized from their own scientific or science community and or of losing their careers and livelihoods. Sadly, standing up for truth, such as evolution or evolution being an absurd hoax, can net the end of one's career, especially if one is in a science or science-related occupation. Honestly, just how does someone present new understanding to a populace whose minds are already made up with falsehoods? We must not forget it was advocated by a great dictator, that is, the greater the lie, the more likely it will be embraced. This is interesting considering the spirit of the liar Adam and Eve embraced in the garden. This brings us to Charles Darwin's theories. His theories were based upon very limited and ignorant observations. Basically, the same situation as the science community of Galileo's day, just another level up. Because of the limited scientific knowledge and archaic instruments of the day, those people adopting Darwin's theories were in essence no different from those believing the earth was flat and that the sun orbits the earth. Unfortunately, simple observation like with Darwin was not enough to reveal the whole truth. The false conclusions of geocentrism were undone, painfully that is, by the perfecting of the modern telescope, just as the recent discovery of DNA is also rap rapidly unraveling Darwin's shallow theory of evolution. We have much the same case with one of our newer religions, man called global warming, aka climate change. The majority of scientists know that man-made global warming science is fraudulent but they also know they are subject to losing everything if they take a stand for that truth. Again, we can be assured man-made global warming is just one more fingerprint of the transdimensional puppet masters at work to keep us ignorant and controlled. After all, true knowledge is both freedom and power. Getting back to Darwin's theories, the so-called simple cell coming together to spontaneously spawn life, science now admits is anything but simple. In fact, it's mind-bogglingly complex, and still yet well beyond our full understanding. Unbeknown to Darwin, there's something called irreducible complexity. This phrase means that in order for something to function, all necessary parts must be together in the proper place and simultaneously fully functioning. Let's use an example like the simple mousetrap. It has only five parts, but unless they are all together at exactly the right time, it will not work. But how many will accept that given enough time that simple mousetrap will come together and function? As absurd as the idea of a simple mousetrap evolving and assembling itself, it's far more probable, probable than the astonishingly complex single-cell organism doing the same. In fact, it's estimated by scientists the so-called simple cell has some 180,000 irreducible complexities. That's some 30,000 times more complex than the simple electric motor, which again, no one would believe it could create itself. The so-called simple cell organism, which is also a machine, like an electric motor, 
coming together in a living and functioning way is far more absurd than the simple mousetrap and or electric motor coming together to complete or develop itself. Of course, that's not to even address the so-called simple cell's ability to repl replicate itself after supposedly creating itself. That last fact alone is well beyond comprehension. Even if all the essential elements of a simple cell could have assembled themselves, the net result would have been the exact opposite of initiating life. The 20-some necessary proteins and amino acids making up the simple cell would have been annihilated if brought together in their natural state. As it turns out, some of these amino acids are hydrophobic, that is, they are destroyed by contact with water, which is one of the essential ingredients of the living cell. Others are annihilated by exposure to oxygen and sunlight, which are also essential ingredients of cell life. What a coincidence. The very elements needed for cell life will literally destroy the cell parts if brought together in their natural state. To be together and functioning, these proteins and acids must be encased in special membranes programmed to protect them from the elements and each other. While protecting, these membranes must at the same time be programmed again to allow the proteins and acids to perform their essential functions with each other. Of course, none of the functions of the proteins and acids within the cell can be performed without very detailed instructions, even with all the proper elements and conditions in place. Those instructions are the DNA coding, the operations instructor for every cell. This is an extremely complex and delicate process, which can only be the product of an extreme, intelligent, outside design. And, of course, a whole lot smarter than humans. Even if we can foolishly and ignorantly rationalize such an absurdity as spontaneous life, in spite of the 180,000 irreducible complexities, we are still faced with the absurd impossibility of positive DNA mutation. The DNA is the instruction program within the cells. Even though many cells are identical, their DNA instructs them to perform very different operations. For instance, the genome which houses the DNA in the cells of the eyeball is exactly the same as the genome in the cells of the pancreas, yet the cells in the pancreas produce insulin while the cells in the eyeball don't. One argument used to support the modern religion of evolution is something called microevolution. This is a process of butterflies changing colors and birds developing different beaks to adapt to most common foods available. You see this in humans growing to different heights. We see this in humans growing to different heights and shades in response to certain conditions such as food and climate. Even though this so-called microevolution is touted as definite proof of evolution, it fails to pass muster due to the fact these microchanges reverse themselves when the conditions are changed back. Those microchanges are not mutations at all, but environmental adaptations written into the DNA program. Obviously, the designer uh, knew those microchanges would be necessary for the survival of many species and programmed the DNA with the ability to change back and forth to match conditions to one degree or another. That said, our DNA programming is much like that of a computer program. When a glitch or a mutation occurs, it never improves the base program, but contrarily renders the program unable to function properly, reducing overall efficiency or function. Eventually, with enough glitches or mutations, the entire program is destroyed. Mutations are always a result of the loss of quantum or digital information. 
positive progressive mutation requires additional information to be uploaded into the DNA, not loss of information. And obviously, only higher intelligence than the organism itself can provide the additional information needed to positively evolve. An organism cannot give itself information it does not itself possess. Unfortunately, Darwinism evolution requires positive or progressive mutations to the DNA coding in every cell, which flies in the face of all verified reality. The actual fact is all mutations to DNA have proven to be negative by all known tests. This negative consequence of natural mutation is also supported by the laws of thermodynamics. That is, everything in nature is winding down negatively. Well, it doesn't take much of a cognitive brain to look around and see the whole concept of positive progressive mutation is not happening or could not ha ever have. After all, if it really were possible, we would be doing it right now, right? Considering our brains are a little more developed than plants, sarcasm intended, why aren't we willing, willing, willingly causing evolutionary changes to improve ourselves? Considering this, we, unlike plants, actually have a brain that thinks and reasons. And considering that, why haven't we evolved immunity to, say, cancer, which is getting worse every year? Or how about evolving immunity to heart disease, which is also an escalating problem? In fact, since we are supposedly intelligent and reasoning beings, unlike plants, why haven't we evolved to have no diseases at all? Again, it would seem our reasoning brains aren't working so well for us. Or maybe if we got rid of them and became like those plants with no brains to reason, we could make evolution actually work. No apologies for the sarcasm, by the way. Just to be clear at this point, I do not dismiss the evidence or idea of humanoid population before or besides Adam and Eve. The fossil record seems to indicate there were ancient humanoids such as Neanderthals and Cro-Magnum. The fossil record, as does the Bible, supports other humans before Adam and Eve. Unfortunately, the popular idea taught by evolutionists that pre-Adamic man such as Cro-Magnon evolved from an earlier Neanderthal type. This idea is not supported by the fossil record. According to DNA samples extracted from the bones of both by a science team led by Dr. Savante Pabo in 1997, it was verified that one did not or could not have evolved from the other. The DNA record shows they coexisted for some 5,000 years until the Cro-Magnum only were left. Honestly, with only minimal reasoning and honest observation, it's clear evolution is little more than a senseless modern science religion which requires an extreme amount of faith to accept. In fact, it requires far more, more faith to embrace such unprovable theories as evolution than to believe in a creator God. But considering such an absurdity as evolution has become the mainstream norm, it raises the obvious question as to just who or what is motivating this new science religion. This irrational belief or faith system is obviously being promoted by someone or someones with great influence and power, but just who and, of course, why? Who has such power and influence to be able to orchestrate the mandatory teachings of an unprovable theory such as evolution as fact in our schools? Could it be the trans-dimensional puppet master's way of keeping us from realizing our true potential while maintaining their obscurity until such time as they reveal themselves? 
Can we assume it will be too late for us to do anything about it by then? With those intrepid questions firmly in mind, what a bizarre twist of reality to realize that most who embrace Darwin's theories of evolution also endorse human rights. Ironically, an evolutionist embracing human rights is a complete contradiction of evolutionary terms. After all, how is it possible to forget the whole foundation for evolution is survival of the fittest. Embracing evolution's philosophy makes the stronger human races or means the stronger human races should rise up and annihilate the weaker. Isn't that the whole concept of evolution in schools in a nutshell? In order for the process of evolution to continue according to its own dictates and for humanity to survive, the weaker races must be eliminated. Well, that is according to evolution. Thus, if evolution is true and we don't follow its dictates, aren't we sealing our doom? Strange as it sounds, Adolf Hitler was fully embracing and exercising true evolution with his Aryan, blue-eyed, and blonde-hair race ideas. What he was attempting was the annihilation of the weaker genes or races so the process of evolution could continue on its course. That said, a true evolutionist would be a racist by definition. But how ironic that most evolutionists loudly condemn what Hitler attempted to accomplish while embracing the very philosophy fueling his actions. Go figure. Now don't get me wrong, I neither endorse the foolish and ignorant philosophy of evolution nor what Hitler attempted to do. My philosophy of life is the same as the Torah's, that is the Old Testament life instructions. That is, the strong should uphold and help the weak, precisely the opposite of the evolutionary model. The real question is, how can the evolutionist be so hypocritical in their beliefs? What's really going on? Again, is it just plain insanity? Or is there someone craftily and covertly coercing humanity into rejecting the concept of an intelligent and benevolent creator? After all, why is the idea of humanity working for and helping each other and under a loving creator's directions so heinous. If there is an intelligent creator, only he would know what truly works if he, after all, is the one who designed us. We hear almost constantly from ambassadors and governments that their goal is to achieve the anti-evolutionary objective of unity and peace. Why is it with all this supposed effort expended, only the opposite is ever accomplished? A striking example of that kind of the opposite results to achieving world peace is Islam's vow, as voiced by the Islamic radicals, to eliminate the Jews from existence, not to mention the U.S. and Britain as well. Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world, which for some bizarre reason is being backed by most governments of this world also. What's up with that? After all, what happened to human rights when it comes to the Jews, for instance? And why, do, why does so much of the Islamic world believe they have the right to exterminate them? But then look at the way the Catholics and Protestants slaughtered each other in the Inquisitions in the past in the name of Christianity, or the Thirty Years' War. In fact, virtually every major ethnicity and religion in the world has attempted to convert and or destroy the others at some point in history. If we're honest, we have to admit that all those atrocities were evolutionary examples of survival of the fittest. Again, how can one truly embrace the concept of evolution without embracing such violent as genocide? Obviously, there is major confusion or, might we say, insanity pervasive in our world, which should give even the most unobservant pause. 
On the other hand, our education system insists upon teaching as fact the ridiculous and racist absurdity of evolution while condemning those who actually embrace evolution's true ideologies like genocide such as Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, and others. How incredible how teaching Bible-based religions such as Christianity and Judaism has become unlawful in public schools while this new age godless racist religion is forced venue. Honestly, how can we as a people really be so insanely hypocritical and still view ourselves as intelligent? Bottom line, nothing makes any real sense unless unseen, unheard, outside manipulation is involved. As we wade into the vast swamp of insanity, or should I say stupidity, whirling all around us in the next chapter, it's imperative to keep that thought in mind. Unseen but very real trans-dimensional manipulation.